Welcome to Doctorate, the podcast of PhD candidates in the humanities and the social sciences at the University of Vienna. This is the place for communication and discussion about issues surrounding us in the world of science. We address the what's, why's and how's of our work and invite researchers from different disciplines to explore topics and ideas they and we deeply care about. Welcome to the fifth episode of Doctorate. This is the first one for the uh, second season. And today I'm very happy to have with me two amazing guests. I have Alex at the, uh, here from the University of Vienna doing his work on Yugoslavia and uh, LBGTQ rights. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, LGBT, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, and I also have Elena who's doing her PhD here at the University of Vienna in... Uh, land grabbing in Zambia. Is that right? Yeah. All right. Uh, and the reason we have a one contemporary historian and one uh, anthropologist with us today is because we're talking about research abroad or research away from your sort of mother institution. So if you ever have to um, take your boots on, go on a car, train or a plane and get somewhere else and be there for a little while to do your job, this episode is for you. Um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, how how do we get here in this situation where, <laughs> like, why, why do we want to do this? Why do we want to go somewhere? How do we get able to go there, including the touchy subject of funding, right? And then what do you do when you're there? Uh, I mean, both of our guests, they have these, like, I, I thought it was really long stays, three months stays. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Three months. Three yeah. months stays, <laughs> which I think is a real long time. I never go anywhere more <laughs> for more than a weekend, usually. Uh, and what do you what do you do then? Right? Do you just sit and sit in the archive and um, bore yourself to death, or do you actually go out and maybe have some fun as well? But first, Alex. Yes. <laughs> can you talk? Can you tell us a little bit about your project? Like, how did you get into this? Because you've already done ethnography work in your masters in Italy, right? In Croatia, but on Italian-speaking communities, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, going to the uh, summery, uh, sunny side of uh, exactly. Europe, basically. <laughs> and, and and now you're doing contemporary history, which means basically archive work. Yeah. How did you How did you end up choosing to sort of switch from uh, going to sunny Croatia and doing ethnography to going archival work in in, in former Yugoslavia? Yeah. Well, I started out, and I thought about actually doing a PhD in anthropology, but then you know you. I feel like I couldn't always plan what I really wanted to do. So I ended up in Vienna and I ended up at the contemporary history department, which was really nice. And it's it's a little bit of a personal project as well, I suppose. So I'm doing this like um, queer queer movements in, in late socialist Yugoslavia. And yeah. How did you end on that? Is that like, did you figure that project out yourself or did you have someone sort of, uh, did you uh, did you apply for that project? No, I basically, when I, I visited Belgrade and I was, and this was like a, a summer school thing. And then I went to Geno uh, Cernom, which is a feminist organization in Belgrade doing like a lot of remembrance stuff um, from the from the 90s. And um, I saw a picture on the wall and it was like one of these um, gay activists from the 90s and he was also a conscientious objector. Mm. Um, and so I saw this picture and then it suddenly, you know, came to me and I was like, oh my God, there is probably a whole, you know, LGBT history to Yugoslavia, which I um, wasn't really thinking about at the time. And then I thought, you know, one or at least one thing led to another. And then, you know, I just started looking into the topic. Yeah, it's kind of funny that you would say, because like when we were talking earlier, uh, I, I was saying that, you know, it was so surprising th to think that, you know, 
uh, LBGTQ rights in Yugoslavia was even an issue because they had so much else to think about. Like when I think about Yugoslavia, I just think about, you know, all these other social issues that they have with, uh, you know, ethnicity and nations and, and, and politics. And mm. uh, But of course, you know, LBG, LBGTQ people existed back then as well. And there was an issue. So I think it's super interesting that you're sort of bringing this up to light. Um, and it's interesting that you that's how you got into it as well. It's sort of a surprising topic in a way. Yeah, but I also I also find this you know perspective and actually if we talk about archives I, I also find this in the archival documents and there is like a group from Vienna going to to Yugoslavia in the 80s and they're like oh but how how does it you know gays and lesbians in Yugoslavia does it even exist like <laughs> feminists in Yugoslavia and so it's an interesting perspective yeah it comes <laughs> up all the time yeah uh, meanwhile you Alina uh, you have a I would say quite a different uh, project. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to Zambia talking about land grabbing. Uh, do you want to tell me a little bit how, how you got into that? Yeah, so I had already, um, I, I have a master's in development studies and I've done um, some internships and some ethnography in, in the region in Southern Africa. But I, uh, for my PhD, I wanted to shift a bit to a region which has, which is still in Southern Africa, but has a bit of a different history. And I wanted to work um, on these types of like land issues and through the lens of, of land issues to see the interactions with people and the dynamics and, and, and the heterogeneity of that, basically. And so when a, a position opened up um, a project um, which was looking for a PhD student here in Vienna, I applied um, and it was in anthropology and it was it gave me quite a bit of freedom as, um, um, apart from the fact that I had to be in this um, or had to be sounds <laughs> negative, but um, <coughs> that it was in this specific setting um, in Zambia, which was anyway one of the countries I was looking into. And yeah, had to do with a specific situation of a German company coming in there, but there was also a lot of other activity uh, in the same area. And um, yeah, that's how I ended up there. Hmm. But I think it's interesting because you have a little bit of, uh, I mean, obviously you're a little bit different in your approaches. So um, both of you had uh, experience with ethnography going into your PhDs, but uh, I mean, you're doing a more classic uh, ethnographic approach, uh, Alina, and you're doing a more sort of uh, his historical archival work. Building on your experiences, what did you, what were your expectations going into your current projects? Was there anything that sort of, um, surprised you as well with doing a, a bigger project, which a PhD usually is. Mm. No, yeah, for me, I think because my previous ethnographic experience was in Namibia, and in Namibia, it's um, the attitude of most people is quite different to Zambia. So um, when I was there, I had a lot of trouble connecting to people, and mm. I ended up um, doing mostly interviews because it was just not possible to connect to people on a on another level than that. Um, a lot of people were very skeptical uh, of me and of what I was coming to do there. And um, when I came to Zambia, it was a lot easier uh, mm. to get connected with people. But also, since my uh, supervisor was actively doing research there already, quite easy to um, establish connections, establish relationships. So you already had a little bit of like a starting point. Yeah, like a he directed me basically, kind of a bit. basically a bit to that. Mm. And um, that made it a lot easier to start. Yeah. Um, but I think then, we all can sort of like relate to that when you when you move somewhere, you get somewhere and you have like 
a friend in common with someone, it's way, way easier yeah, to get yeah. started. Yeah. I, I don't know. How was that for you, for you, Alex, when you went to uh, Slovenia? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it was uh, also a little bit um, difficult, I suppose, because most people that are starting a PhD in history, they already have a set, you know, set of documents that are an archive and they, so they know that it's somewhere and they can look through it you know and then analyze it for me it was more like i have a topic mm. there's no I'm gay history archive in, in slovenia exactly so well there are some community archives you know but it's certainly not you know the state archive yeah. of austria or something mm -hmm. so it's i was a little bit more stressed about will i actually find something you know and then you also have this feeling that you have to legitimate your sort of phd project through the materials that you find so Sometimes it's a little bit stressful, but it's actually really nice because you are guided more by the by the materials that you find, and you you are you don't you are not so set sort of that you have one direction in which you have to go. Mm. I mean, to me that sounds. Uh, I I never did like wide ranging uh, ethnographic work, but to me that sounds like quite challenging to just figure out on your own. Did you did you have any help? Like, what kind of help did you have going? Absolutely, into this? yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I am. The time that I spent in Ljubljana, I spent it at the, at the research center of the Slovenian Academy of Sciences and Arts. And then, of course, there are a lot of people that are also supportive, you know, and they, and they say, oh, you know, I know someone, maybe you should talk to them. And then you meet over coffee and then people, you know, you, you, you sort of meet these, in my case, activists from the, you know, from the 80s or from the 90s or something. And then you talk to them and then, you know, things come up and then you see what you can use and you see what you can't use. And then, you know, sort of like <laughs> explore a bit. Did did you ever get stuck a little bit? You do feel like you ever went there w to to the field or to the archive, and you just there's nothing here. There's nothing I can do, and just mm. you're not getting anywhere. I mean, for me, because my um, my research is quite, or when I'm there, my field work, I should say, is it's all quite ad hoc. It's mm. like I cannot plan anything. So if nothing happens for a day, then I will feel like, oh my god. I'm here and my research is not going anywhere and whatever and then something will happen and for the next three days I'll have a program lined up for things to do and there will be something interesting so I feel like that's also part of it at least with these kind of more long-term things like um, ethnography but I from my limited experience so far uh, archival work as well you can like chase something for three weeks and then be like that's not where I wanted to end up. <laughs> exactly. um, yeah. I mean, you can probably speak a bit more to that than me. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's ab absolutely. And uh, But the thing is also you take so... I mean, now when I'm, you know, looking back sort of because the time, a lot, uh, some time has passed also between the research period and now writing. So you're looking back at the materials and you're trying to compare your feelings and you might have felt as if, you know, you didn't find anything and everything was, you know, irrelevant. Right. But then you go back to the materials mm -hmm. and you realize, oh my God, there are so many things that I didn't yeah. see at the time. And right now that you're working, that, you know, I'm working with it or that I'm writing on it, sort of the things come out. And I think you also need a little bit of this distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we were talking about this earlier as well uh, before the recording that, you know, for, for me, uh, I'm doing a lot of document studies and whenever I'm, I'm writing or doing my analysis uh, and I'm a little bit uncertain, like, um maybe oh, I have to check that up. And then I just go to my document because it's a file on my computer or it's a location on the internet or something. I can just go to it. But if you doing field work, basically you, you just can't hop on mm -hmm. a plane to Zambia or, <laughs> or take the train to Slovenia and just go there that easily. How do yeah. you deal with that? Hmm. Now, yeah, I think 
related to what you said before of like getting stressed out about nothing is happening it's also like you feel that when you're there as well because you feel like I'm now here and now it has to happen mm. uh, and if it doesn't then I'll, I'll be in such big trouble and nothing seems to be uh, good enough but then yeah you, you, when you go back to your uh, notes and to to documents that you've collected or, or, or what you want to call it you do see that there actually is a lot of stuff mm. and uh, for me I I have often been in the field or have been in the process of returning from the field being like I don't have anything mm. and then going back to the the stuff that I have and being like this is actually very interesting and very valuable and it might not always be the specific thing that you were looking for but it might be also very interesting for your um, research and that distance that you have then at that point from it allows for you to see that absolutely yeah I, I mean I agree <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that um, it's it's also it's it's I mean it's your research and it will it is necessarily limited you mm. know you are not you are not the professor that has like tons of money maybe <laughs> and then you know can spend years and years on doing on writing a book or or yeah. doing a very specific project on something you know you have your time you have your funding which is a sensitive sensitive topic and you're in a way trying to do the best of it you know and if it's limited it's limited I mean it's part of the part of the research. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up about funding because obviously some people have more stable funding than others, but everyone has limited funding unless you're, I don't know, Elon Musk. I don't think he's doing that much <laughs> academic work, but you know, uh, how do you how do you plan that out? So you, you start your PhD and you have a sort of an idea of how much traveling you can do or how much archival work you can do, how much... Um, how much money you have to do these things. How, how do you plan that out? How do you say like, I have this amount of money and that's gonna be best used by doing this amount of work and then I'm gonna get this amount of sort of material out from that. How do you, how do you cope with that? The limitation of not only your time, which we all have, but also limitation of money in this sort of very money intensive uh, activity. Um, yeah, I mean, I had a bit of a strange journey with 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 funding because I was on a two and a half year um, uh, funded project from my supervisor um, uh, third party funded as well mm. and then I was which is not a lot two and a half years no it's not enough for <laughs> PhD um, in itself there was some um, travel money included which was nice and which I had expected to use in that time but since I started um, in mid 2019 most of that was supposed to happen in 2020, which we all yeah. know what happened in 2020. I guess. Not a lot of traveling. Uh, uh, for those yeah, years. yeah, yeah. No. So um, hopefully, like people who start their PhD now, they don't have to deal with such things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was quite tricky because then um, uh, I wasn't able to use all of that. And now, luckily, I have been able to find some other funding. But there was quite a lot of work and and stress and 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 sweat and tears mm. involved <laughs> um i now have a two-year um um uh, doc stipendium from the uav mm. the austrian academy of sciences and also a, a six-month um, um uh, marietta blau grant to go abroad mm. so but how do you how do you go about finding funding <laughs> because like you, you have different funding stories uh for sure alex you you sort of figured out your own little project and then you you got the money for it 
and and you're still living off that or <laughs> still working off that money, I guess you could say. Yeah. How how did you how do you approach that? How do you how do you find that money? How did you uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're not sort of in one of these faculty positions, you obviously obviously have to look at these all these different um, sort of scholarships, which are or all more or less, you know, two or three years maybe. Mm. So for me, I was in between the sort of when I finished my master's thesis and um, coming to Vienna and doing the PhD, I was working for some time, and mm, in this, in, you know, and I th just thinking at the same time about um, this. The, the application basically and it's also it's huge I mean it's a huge process you're writing this expose and then you have all these interviews and it takes six months you know yeah, what it's are a you job on its own exactly and what yeah. are you gonna do these six months you know that you that you maybe don't have you know the money and then you have all this you have to organize it and now I mean now I'm in a comfortable position obviously because I I'm more or less independent I have the scholarship and then you know they also fund these um, research days abroad which is a very nice mm. you know thing mm. um but uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a. Con it's. Con it's maybe it's a. Con it's a constant struggle and it's pressure that's put on you. Sort mm. sort of. Yeah, because you have this uh, yeah. three three year stable funding. Uh, while while your story, uh, Alina, is a little bit uh, different, you could say. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And at some point, your funding just ran out. Yes. How how did you deal with that? Um. In the middle of your <laughs> PhD, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I was I was feeling like I just got started, basically, and 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 it was cut off because um, I mean I went to Zambia for a little bit in 2019. It was only like four weeks, and then the first time I went back for a longer research stay was September 2021, uh, and at the end of January of 2022, this year, uh, my my um, funding was over. Um, so it felt like I haven't even really started yet. And that for me was quite scary in a way. Um, I had also not, because, you know, I, I, I got um, unemployment money through the AMS, but um, I didn't have the nicest AMS Berater. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so um, that was quite stressful with things I had to do for that all the time. And um, I was not really able to uh, work on my PhD in that time. I was, I knew I was waiting for these two funding possibilities and also that if I wouldn't get the Marietta Blau that I would be able to apply for it again. Um, so I knew that and I was waiting for that, but I was just working on other stuff, improving my German, etc. Mm. Um, in the meantime, and it was only five months. So it, it felt like <laughs> I a mean, very only five months. <laughs> it's, it's a <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was in it, it felt like a very long time. But now looking back, it was not that much of my um, whole PhD journey, not that big of a chunk of it. Mm. And um, I don't know, I it, it got me feeling quite negative about the whole experience to be honest mm. um it's not an ideal situation to be in and especially if you're not from austria mm. um you don't really know how to navigate this whole unemployment system either and um, what rights you have as a foreigner luckily i am a european citizen not mm. everyone is um but yeah that is pretty stressful mm. <laughs> yeah and you're doing this like very expensive <coughs> form of research as well, yes. uh, which is, I guess, harder to justify in some sense, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but luckily, you you're back on you're back on your funding, yes. yeah, um, with a good experience of it as well, I, I guess. Um, but 
I want to talk a little bit about, you know, like when when you finally get there, <laughs> you're going down to this. <laughs> <laughs> You're, go- you're going somewhere. You got your money in your back pocket. You know you have funding for a little period of time or a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to – you both have a sort of three-month stays uh, sort of uh, each time. And then you go back continuously throughout your projects. And you get a connection to this place, right? Mm-hmm. You get new relationships there. You get, like, friendships maybe. You get, like, uh, not only professional relationships. How do you deal with being both – sort of an employee, someone who's working, someone's working in a field and also being you know, a social human being. How do you deal with that sort of uh, balance when you're in uh, Slovenia, for instance? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of, a, of maybe the idea is uh, the, 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 idea, the idea that you're starting with, you know, that you're sort of like going there for work. And then you're there for work, you know. It's a little bit of a, of a um, maybe your own myth that you're creating <laughs> because mm. obviously you're gonna be there. You know, you're gonna meet people. There will be m- maybe conflicts. There will be you know nicer times. So, I mean, you're me- you're constantly working with people. You're not just. I mean, uh, at least I am not constantly sitting in the archive, you know, and just <laughs> looking at <laughs> documents and you know. And um, it's also it's also a good way to and you know open up different perspectives on what you were maybe expecting to mm. find you know you're going to meet people they're going to say oh you didn't you look up this thing or didn't you go to this cafe talking to someone you know and then and then you go there and then you obviously get you know something new and it's it's an essential part of the process you know meeting people and then talking to them and also sort of um creating friendships in a way you mm. know it's i mean it's it it would be a little bit weird i think it also unrealistic to have this idea that you're going there as a you know sort of distant observer or yeah. a professional that's all you know yeah. all the time in this mode of you know um, extracting uh, knowledge yeah. from this from this place yeah but how do you how do you go about that when you get there I mean in the beginning it's a bit slow maybe I don't know how, how mm. do you get into that sort of integrating yourself into your field yeah it it can be I mean for me in the beginning of course I had some connections already so it's um not completely representative for people who um who might be completely new going somewhere because my supervisor already had some uh, established connections i had a place to stay etc um but yeah in the beginning for me it was it it was more difficult to adjust also to kind of create a balance for myself in terms of being there and leaving for a bit for my own mental health, basically. Mm. Um, also because when I'm there and I do research in quite a rural um, location, living there is quite different. Um, and I I do notice that I have um, that it has changed a lot over time. Mm. That because the last time I was there. Um, but it's now like I came back a month ago, so this would have been like one and a half, two months ago. My partner also came and he stayed with me in the field for a while. And by seeing his difficulties in navigating it and navigating also the way that people deal with each other, like because we are outsiders, because we are like the the white people who mm. don't really know how stuff works there, like people constantly laugh about you and I like for me, that's just normal. I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm the clown when I'm there, you know. Um, for him, that was difficult to navigate. So then I, I kind of reflected on it. Did it make you feel better about yourself it. though when you see like, oh, he's not 
also dealing with this like super smoothly. Yeah, I guess in a way like, okay, so so all of the struggles that I still have with that or like the times that I feel really annoyed mm-hmm. <laughs> with either myself or other people for like laughing about me or whatever, um, that's fine. Mm. Um, that's that's completely normal and uh, yeah, but it it changes over time. Yeah, definitely. sometimes I feel like a clown just being in Vienna as well. You know, it's uh, <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> <Who doesn't? laughs> but you also brought with you some some objects that I, I think we can talk talk about. Um, so, uh, Alina, you brought this uh, notebook. I mean, uh, yeah. the notebook in itself. Uh, how would you describe it? it? Is it a moleskin? No, it's a uh, Leuchtturm something. It's a uh, generic like looking, a, I, yeah. I guess. Uh, teal blue with a little uh, <laughs> elastic band to keep it together. Yeah. And like a slot for a pen. Uh, yes. Uh, but why yeah. did you bring this notebook? When I'm in the field, this is where I like, this is basically my field diary, this uh, notebook. This is where most of my notes go. Um, I don't like writing uh, on the computer when I'm there. Also, I just don't like having my laptop out um, when I'm there. Mm. Um, and this gives me also more flexibility to just take it with me and whatever. But it's, um, I don't really have a lot of privacy when I'm in the field. So this feels like um, my personal space, even mm. though it's somewhere that I write. It's like the one place where I can just talk and just be my my myself and um, also of course be a researcher and be reflective and everything but I don't have to interact with other people does and it I work kind of like a diary in a, in I a guess way? in a way I mean it's yeah more professional but mm. a diary yeah and I write um, not in English I mean I, I write my thesis in English but I write this in my own language um, in Dutch so it's easier for me also to to disconnect a bit from mm. the field when I do that and to make it feel like it's a bit more yeah nobody else can steal it and thing. start reading Dutch unless they <laughs> speak <laughs> unless they Dutch they know it not the yeah. biggest language in the world now yeah I mean this would have been a, a, a bigger a difficulty I guess um, in my previous uh, experiences in mm. Namibia and South Africa because people speak Afrikaans oh yeah um, but in Zambia people don't speak Afrikaans so. <laughs> <laughs> good for this context yeah how, how do you feel about like do you also struggle to keep sort of the boundaries between your personal life and your professional life intact sometimes when you're in in Slovenia for example I mean um, not not so much actually um, I mean I'm for me it of course, you know, you are at maybe at the place, at the institute you're working, you're doing research, but also, I don't know how you feel about your project, but for me, I, it's also a very personal story that I tell, you know, mm-hmm. and then I'm trying to um, not basically give this very cold impression <laughs> of an objective, yeah. mm. you yeah. know, in quotation marks, objective research, because people that claim that their research is subjective, most of the time it isn't, you know. It's not, especially <laughs> so. when it's any form of like social um, research. Yeah, you're I also mean, not just social science, but any type of like not in a laboratory setting yeah, type yeah, of yeah. research. It's it's not just. And you live in your empirical data, basically. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. You, so you're embedded in the context. That's, you know, um, basically what I think. And then you, I mean, you you should, you confront it in a way mm. and you live with it. So you're obviously going to. Yeah, to be a human being. Because the object you brought with you is um, it, it's a it's a pin, 
and it's sort of in a way the opposite of what you brought Alina because meanwhile <laughs> I mean while your object is sort of symbolizing in a way your way of drawing boundaries and having this space for yourself yes. um, Alex your pen is more symbolizing how you participate in the surroundings around you when you're actually in the field. Do you want to, do you want to tell, tell the uh, listeners uh, what you got with you? Yeah, basically it's a small pin and it has the uh, logo of the research center where I've um, worked in Ljubljana and it's sort of, its colors are taken from the rainbow. So mm. w during my time when I was in Ljubljana in June, they had their first sort of queer queer event at the at the um, research center and it was really it was really nice and it w it also you know it, it kind of like shows this whole thing that you're also embedded in a political environment obviously mm. and at the time maybe it was especially you know maybe not tense but dy dynamic at the way there were demonstrations you know there were elections um, it was still you know uh, in Slovenia it was still the Dysiansha period and um, and everything that you do and even if it seems you know very disconnected from what people um, are doing in their everyday life it is you know part of a part of a broader sort of political discourse and mm. in this specific case obviously queerness and lgbt issues have have you know have a very special i suppose a sp very special <laughs> you know angle to observe this and for me it was very nice and you know uh, also very important to do this uh, publicly be uh, publicly because you know, these research institutions, as weird as they might sound sometimes, they are very, you know, they are th at the heart of political conflicts. Mm. Mm. How's that for you? Because you're dealing with land grabbing, which is also, you know, it's an economical yeah. issue, but it's also a political issue. How does, how does it, yeah, yeah, all of the things. How does it feel to be like in the middle of, of this in a way? Um, now, yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes because Yes, of course, I am in the middle of it, but sometimes it's not moving super fast mm. or like stuff is not really happening. But then other times, like I talk to people and I I hear stories from people that are quite heartbreaking and, and whatnot. And um, recently we visited some people um, uh, that were re displaced several times um, and now are living in an area where they, um, like the, the, the closest schools and the closest clinics are about 15 kilometers away on a um, dirt road, essentially. Mm. And um, they don't have even bicycles um, or any other mode of transportation. Um, and there is only one borehole for water. And um, we... Like my friend who uh, always assists me uh, often and she is also uh, does a lot of the interpretation for me as well. She was there and she was there with her baby. She lives in, in, in the area where I do my research. But um, for her and for me, it was quite like difficult also to see people who were affected in a way by, by this situation and were not able to show as much agency as 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 she was for example and her family to negotiate with these outside actors and interact with them and and like um kind of um how do you say that like stand for their own mm. dignity and assert their agency and stuff um because we saw some women who who were not able to to feed their babies mm. and babies who were really very very malnourished, and um, uh, we were both quite shocked by it. Um, 
So sometimes it can be quite difficult to see because for both of us it was then like quite a difficult <laughs> um, thing to come back from, um, especially like in the same time that like, of course, there are issues where, where she is living as well and it's not a perfect life and you are trying to negotiate with these um, outside like companies and whatnot. Mm. But um, for her, she is able to do that in, in a certain way. But mm. for some people, it's just not possibility. And that can be quite, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think that's a, a good note to sort of finish on. I want to thank you so much to uh, our guests, Alex and Lena. You can uh, read more about them and their projects on our webpage and mm -hmm. on the internet in general if you have Google. Um, <laughs> if you do. If you do. <laughs> and uh, we will see you again for uh, episode six of uh, Doctorate. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you very you much. Thank you for having us here. Thank you so much for listening to episode five of Doctorate about researching abroad. I have been your host, Erasmus Vardeman, the tech and engineering for this episode has been Martin Pokorny, Nadine Riegler. The production team consisted of Maximilian Brockhaus, Angelina Illes, Georgia Sogu, Ayushma Casey, and this podcast is a project of the Vienna Doctoral Schools of Social Science and Historical Cultural Studies. And we will see you in the next episode of Doctrine. <laughs>